Bugle, audio newspaper for a visual world. Hello, Buglers, and welcome to Bugle 4037, sub-episode B for Balderdash, Baloney, Bunkum and Bullshit, the official law firm of the Bugle podcast. I am Andy Zaltzman. I'm approaching the end of my holidays now, where, if all has gone according to plan, I will have made it to the quarterfinals at least of the Mr. Dry T-shirt competition, performed a full 720 air reverse on my indoor surfboard, seen and shot a live pterodactyl, and squeezed most of an ancient temple into my suitcase in the traditional British manner. It is now officially August, the renowned month, which despite claims to the contrary from some people in the Southern Hemisphere, is in the summer. It's a quality month is August, a terrific 31-day whopper. It is, of course, Neurosurgery Outreach Month, so do take advantage of this to reach out and perform some neurosurgery on someone. The star sign for the earlier part of August that we're currently in is Leo, and the reason for that is because statistically lions on average slay more zebras from the 22nd of July to the 22nd of August than in any other single week of the year. Julius Caesar, the former Roman Big Cheese and Slayings Monthly magazine's assassination victim of the year in 44 BC, Well, he whacked a couple of extra days into what's now August. It was then the piddlingly short 29-day month of Sextilis. That was August's month's predecessor, so-called in honour of the Roman sextile industry. Man, did they make some seriously horn-inducing fabrics. Oh, Jupiter. Uh, Caesar added those extra days in 45 BC. The next year, as I said, he launched his famous involuntary human pincushion impersonation act. You join the dots, people. Do not add days to August, or your buddies will try to pop you like a balloon. Anyway, August uh, was named after Caesar's adopted son, Octavian, who changed his name to Augustus because he didn't think that Octavember would be a good name for a month. Too confusing, really. Anyway, let's take a dance back through time to see what the Bugle had to say about a world Augustus would ironically never live to see himself. A world 2,000 years after he popped his imperial clogs in 14 AD. And let's start back in August 2007. Here I am with my then co-host, Mr John Oliver. The Bugle did not exist in August 2007. It began in October of that year, which was, as so often... After August. Uh, Yes, uh, good point. Let's move swiftly on then to August 2008, the first August in Bugle history. So, what the hell was happening then? So, uh, how do you feel? Do you you feel safe? Do you feel safe where you are? I suppose that really does depend on where you're listening to this. If you listen to this, say, halfway up a staircase trying to move a piano, then you're clearly not particularly safe. You're in danger of something at worst life-threatening and at best hilarious happening. But aside from slapstick, I'm really talking about the kind of safety that only governments can provide us with. And you should feel safer, because this is the week that the mastermind behind 9-11 was finally brought to justice. Well, yeah, I mean, maybe not the mastermind, but certainly the man who drove him around a bit. This really isn't so much of a terrorist as a man guilty of a traffic violation. The point is, you should feel a lot safer. Salim Hamdam, who was uh, Bin Laden's driver from 1997 to 2001 and did it for $200 a month, about £99, said he worked for wages, not to wage war on the US. I suppose the war on the US was just a tip, Andy. Pretty (laughs) generous one as well, kind of a Christmas bonus. 
I guess that works out at more than 15% as well. That's a pretty good tip. Yeah, not bad at all. He's a generous man, Bin Laden. <laughs> that is as far as we've got in the war on terror. Seven years after the attacks on New York, Andy, the driver, and not even the getaway driver, the get-around driver. <laughs> well, I guess we can all sleep much easier in our beds at night, John, knowing that the world's number one ranked baddie will have to get another person to chauffeur him around. That yeah. makes me feel much more secure. Uh, and to be fair, John, he was slightly more guilty than people have made out. He was uh, convicted of supporting terrorism and also of having one of those in-car air fresheners hanging from his rearview mirror in the shape of Bin Laden hitting Abraham Lincoln on the head with a baguette. That yeah. is very provocative. Prosecutors had wanted a 30-year sentence to deter would-be terrorists, to be more accurate, to deter <laughs> people from driving them around. And it's now going to be virtually impossible for Bin Laden to get a cab. That's what we've achieved. Let that monster stand in the rain with his thumb out as cabs with their lights on just drive past and let him use that time to think about what he's done. Bin Laden's going to have to walk if he wants to get somewhere or learn to ride a bike, which I'm sure is very difficult in those mountains. So, yes, I think we can all agree Al-Qaeda is officially on the run. Quite literally on the run. The court took a massive one and a half hours of deliberation to come to the conclusion <laughs> that, including time served, he should probably be released in around five months. <laughs> and how did this evil, hardened killer of non react? Well, Andy, he smiled as he left court, said thank you to those in the room, and then bye-bye in English. Bye-bye? <laughs> that is not how I pictured the first sentence at Guantanamo going down. That place just keeps throwing up surprises. I thought that whoever it was would be dragged out by the hair screaming death to the West, not thank you and bye-bye. He sounds more like the end of an Osman's concert. Well, maybe America could try and build bridges with the uh, Al-Qaeda community by employing this man as the president's new driver to show that, you know, he can be converted from driving terrorists around to driving the leader of the free world around. I think that'll be a message yep. of hope for everyone. Well, in terms of rehabilitation, the judge said, uh, I hope the day comes that you return to your wife and daughters and your country and you are able to be a provider, a father and a husband in the best sense of all those terms. I'm not really sure what the negative sense of all those terms is, but <laughs> Hamdan responded, God willing. And I've always thought it must be tempting in that situation, if you're the judge, to say, no, not God willing, me willing. I am the judge. You will be released if I will it. I don't want to be a dick about this, and you know I'm not saying I'm God, I'm just saying that this is genuinely my decision. It does conjure up a rather lovely image of Dick Cheney watching the uh, sentence come through and just kind of throwing his remote control at his television, saying, What the f***? What is the f- point in setting up f- military trials if they go soft <laughs> at the first sign of a defendant not being guilty? What the f- is the point of that? That is a compelling mental image, Andy, and I appreciate <laughs> you putting it in my head. Good. <laughs> he probably had his wang out as well while he was doing it. And OK, now you've ruined it. <laughs> his know, wang it, out ready to celebrate. I don't even want... You've done this. You started this. I'm angry with you, not I me. I never said anything about celebrating. I was merely suggesting that he might have just had a shower and rushed out of the shower to see the result come through and not had time to put his jockstrap on. In terms of how important a figure this man was, a CIA officer admitted that in the wanted terrorist deck of playing cards, he'd be the two of clubs. But... That's not even true. He wasn't even on those cards. He didn't make it to the deck. Like, instead, he'd be the joker and that you look at him and just say, well, why did they put him in here? Other news now, and a census of supposedly endangered gorillas has shown that populations are actually doing much better than people thought. Hooray! Uh, yeah, well done, the gorillas. We can start eating them again. Um, 
Sorry, I just, I just really, really, really feel I have to come down strongly on that. I, that. That is not what this means. Is that not how it works? It's been a couple of years since I ate a gorilla and, uh, you know. I know. I know it has it, but I think you need to push on with that. It's great. That two years has been terrific, but don't lapse now. Don't go back to your old ways. It just goes so well with my banana sauce, that's all. I'm not, I'm not saying it doesn't. I'm just saying it's a bad idea. For anyone uh, confused about the bewildering number of primates in the world, monkeys are lady apes and gorillas are male apes. And the ones with brightly coloured humbadugas are the clever ones. I hope that clears it all up. (laughs) Say that word again. Humbadugas. I think that's going to have to become official now. (laughs) What a right pain in the humbadugas. Kiss my humbadooga. It's 2009 time now, the August that will be forever remembered for this thing that we're talking about here. I need a hero! I'm holding out for the hero till the end of the night! He's gotta be tall, and he's gotta be a two-time president, and his hair's got to be white! God, it's almost every other bugle you start singing now, John. Uh, I think I'm settling into a nice rhythm of power rock as well. I'm wearing uh, spray-on leather trousers. <laughs> it's with the invention of spray-on leather that's made that possible. <laughs> now, Andy, I think I said a few uh, bugles ago that uh, the key to life seems to be find something that you're good at and do it as much as you can. So, you know, if you're a good carpenter, make as many things out of wood as you can. If you're a good pole vaulter, you should carry a long pole with you wherever you go and always be on the lookout for things to vault over, preferably with highly cushioned surfaces on the other side. And if you happen to be good at flying across the world to negotiate the release of two female journalists before flying back to greet the world's media looking like you just stepped out of an aftershave commercial, then for f- sake, do it! <laughs> And perhaps luckily, and definitely unsurprisingly, President Bill Clinton turns out to be just the man for that job. This week, in a closely guarded move, he flew to the most secretive nation on earth to retrieve two American journalists who'd been captured months ago and sentenced to 11 years in jail. And and this is a North Korean jail that we're talking about, Andy. Probably not a pool table there. (laughs) Although there might be a photograph uh, on the wall of Kim Jong-il's water slide, if... (laughs) If you're lucky. But it wasn't just 11 years, though, John, though, was it? It was reform through labour. So it wasn't just your standard Her Majesty's pleasure that you get here. This is reform through labour. Now, I reckon if I heard that in my sentencing, I'd I'd start getting a bit jumpy. I'd start calling in a few presidents, frankly. You're not a big fan of reform or labour, are you, Andy? Let alone when they're put together. Yeah, not really. (laughs) No, there's a time and a place, and uh, (laughs) neither of those is in a North Korean jail. (laughs) The problem was that not only is America still technically at war with North Korea due to the fact that the North Korean war was never really technically declared over, but relations have worsened recently with North Korea's insistence on making very loud bangs, even when they've been expressly told not to. Bill Clinton had apparently agreed to meet with Kim Jong-il just days after North Korea had insulted his wife. Things had descended to petty name-calling after uh, the Secretary of State Hillary Clinton had likened North Korea to an unruly child. She'd said... Uh, What we've seen is this constant demand for attention. And and maybe it's the mother in me or the experience I've had with small children and unruly teenagers and people who are demanding attention, but don't give it to them. They don't deserve it. They're acting out. Now, that might sound true, but is it really? Because would you actually ignore a petulant child who has a toy box filled with (laughs) nuclear warheads? I think you might be inclined to keep an eye on them. It's all about balance parenting, John, you know. What you give with one hand, you take away with the other. I mean, you say that, Andy. Yeah. I mean, say Matilda had, you know, a few random nuclear warheads yeah. 
in her bedroom. Yeah. Now, would you just go, oh, you know, yes, she's threatening to set them off, but, you know, that's just a phase she's going through. Well, I'd say we can't have them unless uh, unless you eat your peas. So, it's, you know, it's about negotiation, isn't it? You know, if, if you play around with the nuclear weapons and you're not supposed to, no story before bedtime. Pretty so, much what America seems to have done with North Korea. Also, Clinton, uh, Hillary Clinton also said that North Korea has no friends left, which right. really is kind of a playground-level diplomacy, isn't it? Just kind of teasing, <laughs> taunting North Korea. Mateless. You're mateless. In, in fact, North Korea did not appreciate that because they hit back saying, sometimes she looks like a primary school girl and sometimes like a pensioner going shopping. Well, <laughs> hold on. Which, Kim? There's not a lot of crossover between those two looks. <laughs> She's got a very good makeup artist, though, to be fair. <laughs> So uh, the two journalists, uh, Una Lee and uh, Laura Ling, uh, now before this week, if someone had said Una Lee and Laura Ling to you, you'd probably have guessed that they were an adverb and a present participle, meaning respectively, in an inevitably one-off manner, uh, he cut off his own head, Una Lee, or, uh, and also in the process of going off on a tedious and unnecessary tangent in the middle of a long anecdote. Uncle Frobisher was once again laureling at considerable length when suddenly it became clear that Auntie Harvietta had died. But now we know more about them, John, these uh, two journalists. And what a story, what a story. Bill Clinton, uh, as far as I know it, the details of the story, the Clinton, uh, in a secret undercover mission, stormed into North Korea, posing as a wildlife photographer, and then gradually, over the course of several years, infiltrated Kim Jong-il's inner circle by giving the leader some really nice photos of uh, insects and tigers and stuff, becoming one of Kim's most trusted confidants and lovers. And then, when he'd been accepted as an honorary North Korean, he busted into the Pyongyang ladies' prison, armed only with a rucksack full of apples, which he then started flinging about with wild abandon in a flurry of fruit as the prison guards returned fire... Clinton grabbed the two journalists, slung one over each shoulder and used them as shoulder pads as he barged his way out of jail like uh, an American football player trying to get hold of a quarterback who's been swapping his wife. At least uh, <laughs> that's according to the first draft of the film script of the story. Still uh, about as close as Pearl Harbor to the historical account. It deserves a movie, this, Andy. It's been an incredible story. The State Department was unable to, to sanction an official visit uh, to negotiate, so it did need someone to operate under the radar. And then you realise, hold on. Bill Clinton is Jack Bauer. He's become the very TV character he loves so much. And I do think it's important that we recognise when they do something the world can enjoy. The Navy SEALs killing the pirates and freeing the hostage, that was impressive. And Bill's little adventure, pretty cool. No taxpayer money was used to fund the trip, uh, apart from uh, the Secret Service agents travelling with him. The plane was an all-business-class private jet lent to him by Steve Bing and Shangri-La Entertainment. All I will say on that, Andy, is, is this. Bill Clinton plus Shangri-La Entertainment's private jet. One, there was definitely a hot tub in there. <laughs> Two, it definitely got used. I'll leave it at that. You're right. Well, I'm sure there were preparations and negotiations done long before they left. I love the idea that he just decided to get in a plane and go and get them. Well, it was slightly more complicated than that, wasn't it? Because uh, Clinton was actually on a list of names of people that uh, North Korea apparently said they would be prepared to negotiate yeah, with. that's true. Um, alongside the likes of uh, Reese Witherspoon, Scarlett Johansson, <laughs> Kirsten Dunst, Michelle Dessler from 24. Hang on, those are all women that Kim Jong-il fancies. It was a diplomatic booty call. Wily old sea dog. M Marilyn Monroe's on the list too, but uh, as we know, news is quite restricted over in North Korea. <laughs> August 2009. August 2010 was the first August of the post-2009 era, and during it, John Oliver and I talked about this. In New York, 
It's the multiple Grammy award-winning country music legend, Willie Nelson. <laughs> oh, sorry, I'm getting my podcast mixed up. So I thought this was uh, financial and bedroom tips with Willie Nelson. Uh, sorry, it's the bugle, isn't it? Anyway, it's John Oliver. Hello, Andy. Hello. Hello, buglers. Financial and bedroom tips, Andy. Yeah. Well, he's, you know, he likes to multitask. <laughs> That is a, that is two job skills that should never be merged. But you'd listen to it. You would yeah, listen to that. I'm not podcast denying that. Thing. That is a good point. That's a good point. And I was in uh, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, for the last couple of days, uh, shooting something for the show. And about 20 minutes after getting into my hotel room the first night, there was a knock on the door, and a hotel employee was standing there with a bottle of champagne and an ice bucket with strawberries inside the glasses and a card that simply read. The Milwaukee division of the Bugle Army has your back. <laughs> <laughs> then, then, there was a drawing of a heart and underneath simply signed, Gaddafi. <laughs> what? <laughs> what a fantastic thing to receive. With the way the world is, Andy, flooding in Pakistan, fires across Russia, serious threat of a double-dip recession, it truly restores your faith in humanity that people are doing something that juvenile for one another. <laughs> Thank you very much, Buglers, whoever you are. Unless, of course, unless it was actually Colonel Gaddafi <laughs> who is currently heading over the Milwaukee division of the Bugle Army. <laughs> Top story this week, democracy on goal! <laughs> As I think everyone in the world knows, Andy, the Brazilian presidential election is on October the 3rd. <laughs> I, for one, have been counting down the days in the traditional way. I've had an advent calendar tattooed on my chest, <laughs> and I have simply uh, removed every morning until I'm just left with the central tattoo of Pele doing a wheelie on a motorbike while playing keepy-uppy with a rolled-up ballot paper. <laughs> Everyone has their own way of watching the Brazilian election results come in, Andy. Some like to yeah. invite their friends around, um, use a compass to make sure they face their TV in the direction of Rio de Janeiro. Some like to take the more traditional approach and shave their bodies, paint them gold, adorn themselves with feathers, and then walk up and down the middle of their street in a one-man drunkle carnival before waking up the next morning and just guessing the results. <laughs> or maybe you're more like me and you just phone Rivaldo on the hour, every hour, and ask him if he's heard anything yet. <laughs> but the big story, the big early story in Brazil, is that satire has been banned there from now until Election Day. A draconian law still inexplicably there 25 years after Brazil's dictatorship ended has gagged anyone from mocking politicians on TV or radio for the next six and a half weeks. <laughs> now, obviously, as soon as we heard this, Andy and I recognised it immediately as a cry for help. It was like <laughs> the bat signal, or in this case, the bullshit signal, <laughs> being projected into the sky, which is why, as an act of entirely selfless charity, we will be donating the top story this week to Brazil by lampooning the shit out of their election for them. <laughs> yeah, I mean, of course, it's, it's interesting, isn't it? The government banned satire in Brazil in the lead-up to elections. In Britain... That self-same role is performed by TV commissioners. <laughs> is this on? Is this on? And by this I mean my career. <laughs> so, this anti-joking law is an odd thing. I, mean, I have had audiences in the past that thought I was working under the same restriction. <laughs> not this year. Not this year. It's been a strong show. Strong show. <laughs> Don't internally heckle me, most of you. Right. But uh, I want to, you know, uh, we, we had a similar... Well, an interesting thing, actually, a show we were working on years ago, John, the, the state we're in, 
yes. the rightly cancelled state we're in. Yes. Uh, on BBC Three back in the days when you were still just a humble Brit before you became an American. <laughs> and um, well, yeah, it was yeah, in the build-up yeah. to the uh, Iraq War. We were working on this, and uh, I remember writing some jokes, criticising the uh, the actions of the British and American governments, and being told by a senior commissioner yes. at BBC that if we made anti-Bush jokes, we also, for the sake of balance, had to make anti-Saddam jokes <laughs> as well. <laughs> now, you would have thought we could have taken that as a given. Uh, well, no. You know, no. No, you can't take that as a given. <laughs> right. <laughs> you can't Evidently do that. Evidently not. Unless you explicitly zing Saddam, <laughs> they just assume that you were a Bath Party supporter. <laughs> but now, we, are, we are the people. We do take our responsibilities very seriously, uh, John, and this world isn't going to satirise itself, is it? Mm. So, yes, as John said, we will be lampooning the Brazilian election. Now, one of the reasons why this is going to be so painful for Brazil is that uh, the candidates sound incredibly boring. Uh, the front-runner, Dilma Rousseff has apparently uh, a lumbering speaking manner, and her main opponent, Jose Serra, is widely considered to be lacking charisma. Now, have they found the only two introverted Brazilians <laughs> in the whole of that bethonged nation, Andy? Is that what happens in Brazil? If you're boring, everyone else makes you run the country while they're outside building 35-foot floats out of marshmallows. <laughs> <laughs> have you ever been to Brazil, John? <laughs> no. Well, I'd love to. The, the right, marshmallow floats sound amazing. Yeah, you just just don't eat one in a whole, you know a whole one in a single sitting. That's the key. <laughs> so here we go, Chris. I hope you've unpacked your drum kit and hi hat because this shit is about to get zingy. First, let's deal with frontrunner Dilma Rousseff. Here goes. For a start, what kind of name is Dilma? Sounds like Fred Flintstone calling his wife while suffering from a cold. Boo! <laughs> Boo! <laughs> Chief of Staff, Chief of Staff, more like. Have you heard her talk? She sounds like an articulated lorry slowly reversing onto a rhinoceros. <laughs> Here's another. Hey, Dilma, you're a career civil servant never elected to office. Plus, you are and will continue to be in the pocket of President Lula da Silva. I'm not saying you're a puppet. I'm just saying I bet you can't speak while President Lula is drinking a glass of water. Boom! <laughs> I know why she's called the Iron Lady, because she makes everyone she talks to feel flat. flat like they've been ironed. Uh, ironed. And, like an iron. You oh, can't handle the truth. By the way, Dilma, Angela Lansbury called. She wants her entire wardrobe back. I mean, every item of clothing she's ever worn. <laughs> Former Secretary of State for Energy. Well, she should be fired. F fired. Is this on? Is this? I'm dynamite. Hey, hey, Dilma, apparently you joined the underground resistance movement during a military <laughs> dictatorship and were jailed and tortured between 1970 and 1972. That's an admirable commitment to your beliefs and cause. <laughs> uh, hey, they can't all be winners. <laughs> what do you get if you cross four decades of political activism with a president who's coming to the end of his second term of office? What? Dilma Rousseff running for president. <laughs> Okay, that needs a bit of work as well, John. That needs a bit of work. Okay, well, let's move on to Jose Serra, Andy. <laughs> Apparently, Jose Serra, Andy, was an engineering student. It's a shame he didn't engineer himself a personality. <laughs> You're welcome, Brazil. De nada. Jose Serra, who's he, Serra, more like? <laughs> who's he? Who's he? Former health minister, is he? Well, he didn't make me feel any better this morning. I tell you, Brazil would be nuts if they elect this guy. 
Hey, Jose Sierra, your wife Monica Allende was a top ballerina with the National Ballet of Chile. Well, you can both go spin on this. (laughs) (laughs) Jose Sierra's campaign slogan is Brazil can do better. You're right, Jose, and Brazil can do a f**k of a lot better than you. That is a burn. That is a third-degree burn all over his personality. That man has the charisma of a long-forgotten apple core slowly rotting in a disused air race shelter. (laughs) Finally, let's deal with the outside Andy, former Environment Minister Marina Silva. Marina switched from the Workers' Party to the Green Party a year ago. I haven't seen such a huge party hopper since Paris Hilton was welded onto a pogo stick. (laughs) Brazil, you've been great. I'm here all week. Try the polenta. (laughs) Isn't that more of an Italian thing? Apparently, it's also in Brazil. (laughs) 2011 was, without question, the most recent year whose digits add up to four. Only five more of those years to go in the next 7,986 years, so do enjoy them while you can. And what did an August and a year adding up to four sound like? Well, it sounded like this. What's going to happen to Edinburgh after... You, know, you you leave on Saturday, I leave on Tuesday morning. Well, I mean, it does not look good at it all. It will sink it? into the Firth of Forth. That's right. <laughs> Sweet accent, John. Thank you very much, Andy. Got casting coming up. Well, I, I don't think I need to do casting anymore, Andy. <laughs> when you've been in a film which has grossed $370 million. Do you get daily updates on that, John? No, I look for them. <laughs> I, I, look for, I look for them to throw at you. I go to something called Box Office Mojo. <laughs> oh, hold on, hold on. I've got the internet down here again. All right. Boxofficemojo.com. <laughs> now, how did I do this last time? Oh, it's quite slow down here. All right. So I guess this pretty much affects whether or not you can afford to feed Hoagie. Yeah, yeah well, I think Hoagie's going to be in luck. <laughs> He's going to get some liver. If, uh, <laughs> here we go. Oh, there's some more news. Smurfs holds off Planet of the Apes overseas. Right. Should you not be, like, checking whether Gaddafi's still in power first? Or um, do you think, really? No. No? Uh, OK, let's see. Yesterday in Glasgow, uh, the Liberal Democrat leader, Deputy Prime Minister Nick Clegg, was attacked with uh, a load of blue paint and... I mean, where, where were you yesterday when that happened, John? That's... Listen, viral marketing is a valid advertising strategy for any film now. <laughs> Not that the Smurfs need it, as it is $333 million really? in total. Hasn't that gone down by $40 million <laughs> yeah. in the last minute? Yeah, I think probably because I'm mentioning it. All right. <laughs> a journalist wrote, this is your newspaper. That's my home local yeah. newspaper, Andy, as if I manage to get back has... home through a hurricane. <laughs> yeah. The uh, uh, and of course the uh, that that massive had that massive picture of uh, of us in it last week. Yeah. So very fine newspaper clearly. Uh, Anthony Shadid wrote about Lib- about Tripoli. There was unease. There was a sense of the ephemeral, like the last hours of a long party. <laughs> Buglers, if you ever get invited to the New York Times Christmas party, politely decline. <laughs> What what kind of parties does Anthony Shadid go to? Yeah, there ain't no party <laughs> like a New York Times party, Andy, because a New York Times party don't stop. <laughs> that, that is taking partying beyond its logical conclusion. Mm-hmm. Really? Yeah. 
I mean, we all love to topple a statue at a party, John. I mean, heaven knows I've been there often enough myself. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, that's... Yeah, that is a... That is a major party. That's, uh... Also, didn't you ruin the uh, Queen's 70th birthday party? By well, pushing over a statue of her mum? Well... Saying, one day, one day, laws of gravity. <laughs> yeah. She's going down. Physical satire, John. And you were right. You were yeah. right. No, she did die. Yeah. Tragically, at or, 101, of natural causes. Or did she, John? Good or point. did she fake her own death? Well, because she did look quite a lot like Colonel Gaddafi. Oh, yeah. Could it be? <laughs> could it? Could it could be? Could it be that she lived out the rest of her life as Colonel Gaddafi? Do call in. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the odd thing. Andy and I are sitting in uh, a radio studio. Yeah. In Edinburgh. Like a, yeah, it's in ten, Edinburgh. It's and ten it's ten in the morning and we finished our gig last night at three. About, yeah. <laughs> I think they can probably tell that from our tone of voice, Andy. <laughs> and Andy's even sitting... Andy has access to the faders. Oh, Which yeah. uh, is uh, no 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 oh. no no goodbye John. Find me up. Goodbye John. Find me up. <laughs> Children. <laughs> Sorry Chris. Oh, I just love the feeling of power. You can't be trusted with a fader, Andy. No. Look, what makes you say that, John? Oh, Andy, no, <laughs> no. <laughs> you see, Andy, this is sonically. This is exactly what happened with Gaddafi. <laughs> <laughs> he basically had the fader of Libya at his fingertips, yes. and he fucked it. Really. Well, I'm not sure that that's necessarily true, John. I guess what... Uh, oh, shit, I've done the wrong one. <laughs> did you just fade yourself down? He did. <laughs> <laughs> you see, Andy? Well, see, that's that's really what Gaddafi did, John. That is, that's really what he did. Oh, he faded himself down? Yeah. Oh. That was a little bit of satirical mixing I did there. Did you like that? <laughs> that, was, that was DJ satire. <laughs> what? what? That was August 2011. 2012 was, of course, the year of London 2012. And London 2012 in August 2012 was when London 2012 was really right at its Olympian 2012 peak. I'm Andy Zaltzman, Great Britain, uh, live just a few miles away from where (laughs) British athletes are going for glory. If you're working for or watching the BBC coverage, and if you're not, where the world's greatest sporting event is taking place. And with me this week, it's the former Czechoslovak second scientifically enhanced 800 metre race, Jarmila Kratoch-Vilova. And alongside him or her, in New York, bugling under the IOC banner for comedians no longer affiliated to any nation, it's John Oliver. (laughs) (laughs) Hello, Andy. Hello, Buglers. Now, if you've been following any of Andy's micro-bugles this week, or indeed his Twitter feed, you'll probably be aware that Andy has come down with a very serious case of Olympic fever. He's been attending events all week long, frequently more than one a day, and is in fact sandwiching this bugle recording in between seeing athletics before this, and then leaving immediately after this to go and see, I believe, fencing and table tennis. That's right. This isn't isn't just Olympic fever, Andy. This is an advanced stage Olympic fever, <laughs> and at this point, there's just not much that any doctor can do. I was just pounding no now. <laughs> yeah, th- there's no point even sending in a priest to see Andy now, partly because he's Jewish, and partly because he'd take one look at the cross around the priest's neck and just automatically assume it's a new medal for getting fourth place in the triple jump. <laughs> in fact, I believe that if you took an x ray of Andy's torso right now, you would see his intestines have rearranged themselves into the shape of the five Olympic rings. <laughs> when I spoke to you, 
on the phone yesterday, Andy. You sounded as happy as I've <laughs> ever heard you. <laughs> and that absolutely includes both your wedding day and the birth of both of your children. <laughs> what were you doing at the birth of my children, John? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't want to interrupt. I just wanted to be there. My, my only concern is that you know, when these Olympics are over, you are headed, Andy, for a spectacularly large come down. <laughs> After the closing ceremony, you're going to be like you and McGregor in train spotting, <laughs> lying in the corner of a room, shivering and hallucinating a hammer throwing baby crawling across the ceiling. <laughs> what are you going to do? It doesn't bear thinking about, John. How I, are you going to wean yourself off this level of happiness? Well, I, I don't know. I mean, it's going to be hard. And, and even more concerning than that, John, is that it looks like it is going to be at least another four years until London hosts the Olympics again. Prob- probably even more. So. <laughs> But well, it's going to be dark times. Very I think your best bet might be just to move straight to Rio after this <laughs> and sit in the unfinished <laughs> Olympic Stadium and just wait for four years. I think that's your best bet. So the Olympics is a week in now, and after a spectacular Olympics opening ceremony that saw a five-minute Mr Bean sketch and James Bond bursting in on the Queen with a look in his eyes that made me think he was about to shoot her in the head. Uh, The Queen, of course, then jumped out of a helicopter and even more spectacularly managed to scowl her way through the rest of the opening (laughs) ceremony. She did look like she absolutely hated it. She had a face like a bored trout, Andy. Would it? have killed her to smile just once (laughs) rather than have a permanent expression that seemed to say, I f***ing hate all of you. (laughs) All of you. I think, um, and I think I mentioned this in the the very first micro-bugle last week, that there was an explanation for this, John, that she'd just spent ten minutes in a helicopter with James Bond. (laughs) Now, what happens to women when they get in bits of transport alone with James Bond? (laughs) (laughs) Anne Romney's horse is called Rafalka, uh, which is a stupid name for a horse that you are asking to do stupid things in a stupid sport. But Rafalka has become a bit of a touchy subject for Mitt Romney, as, you know, its very existence does play into the image of him being a bit of an elitist. Now, he's claimed that it is not an elitist sport, horse dressage. But let's, let's just look at the cold facts for a moment. The rider wears a top hat and white gloves, and the horse trots in place and performs forms pirouettes. A pirouetting horse, Andy. A pirouetting horse. I think Mitt Romney is smart enough to know that you do not get elected to the highest office in the land by being associated with a pirouetting horse. (laughs) Rafalka's rider insisted that the sport is not just for the rich, saying that it's open to anyone on, and I quote, a normal budget. (laughs) But that might be stretching the term normal just a bit, because it might be normal to anyone with a large Swiss bank account, but the horses cost upwards of half a million dollars to buy, and according to their tax, according to the tax returns that Romney has deigned to release so far, uh, the Romneys wrote off $77,000 in horse expenses in 2010. Horse expenses, Andy! Horse expenses! And not just horse expenses... Pirouetting horse expenses. <laughs> and not just pirouetting horse expenses, $77,000 in pirouetting horse expenses. Well, that's well, mostly the... Uh, that's the training costs of, you know, teaching a horse to pirouette, <laughs> you know, in a, in a china shop and uh, having to pay for all the breakages. That's, that's how you train them to do it delicately. But it does it's cost. Been, it does cost. 
It's been pointed out here that if President Obama wins this election with the economy in this bad a shape, it'll be a huge achievement. But, Andy, if Mitt Romney wins this election with a pirouetting horse, <laughs> I think it'll be even more impressive. In fact, if he does win, I think he should ride onto the stage to give his speech with a top hat and white gloves, with his horse pirouetting all over the place, shouting, You just elected a tax-evading Mormon with a pirouetting horse! This is the greatest country <laughs> in the world! Moving on to August 2013, and there were no Olympics in London then for some as yet unexplained reason. But there was still stuff happening in the world, and when stuff happens, the Bugle has always been there to report on it. Apart from when we've been on one of our hiatuses, or were busy with other stuff, or hadn't yet been invented. But, but here's 2013. <laughs> After all this, I've had enough of Putin. Really. He, he must go. No. Still, no. still giving arms to Assad. Millions of dollars worth. And the rost of it. No. So I, I went round to talk to my friend Peter, who has a parrot. Um, but Pete wasn't in, so I spoke to his parrot instead. So I was saying to Peter's bird, got to stop. <clears throat> Every bell is a dagger to my heart. <laughs> it's got to stop. And the parrot said, well, Andy, why don't you go and talk to Obama? So I thought, yeah, that's a good point. So I did. I went I went to Washington and I told the president, president he was being silly. Don't cancel the summit, I said. You absolute burk. Ask him to sort out the Snowden schmozzle. Uh, 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 Kutsk, did he, that didn't really work, did it? I hope it picks up. Uh, Andy, the, Andy, this, this the, is the most chilling bell sound since Breaking Bad. The, the Syria <laughs> business, the medieval human rights glitches. Oh, no, sorry, sorry, that came in too early. Kazan, Kaz, Kazan, no, he'll listen to you. And the president said he sure will listen. He's got amazing hearing. Incredible. It seems to understand things in different languages. I tell you, it's not natural. It's almost like he's got a computer on the side of his head. He does, I said. That's his cyber ear. <coughs> Come on, Mr. President. It's almost like you're scared of him. I am a bit, admitted Obama. He wears such intimidating clothes. What was he wearing last time you had talks, I asked. Something furry and brown. Was it a moose pelt? No, said the president. No. Was it bearskin? <coughs> no, no, was it bearskin? No, got it. Yes, I think it was bearskin, said the president. <laughs> And he's got this really unpleasant assistant fresh out of university. Very rude and uncouth. A vulgar grad. <clears throat> yeah, he's vulgar. Even crass. Now I ask. Crass now I ask. Anyway, uh, him to stop being so rude. But he would still swear and curse because he thought it made him look tough. Pretty obnoxious. But he didn't. doesn't look tough. He's tiny and he looks like he hardly eats. Very small and skinny. <clears throat> Anyway, I said to Obama, he needs to bring the other leaders into it to put pressure on Putin. You've got to get Angela Merkel involved in the deal, I said. Uh, no, you're taking this to Ufar. Ufar? I'd never even heard of Ufar. Anyway, he replied, I don't want Merkel in the deal. Listen, I said forcefully, get Merkel in on the deal. You cut her in because she's very influential. Oh, oh <laughs> Besides, I continued, God. so many countries owe you in one way or another. These are the type of favours you've got to be calling in gradually. Tell Ingrid, you pick that up. Yeah. You're, looking, you're looking confident on that one, Chris. Yeah, OK, conceded Obama, you got a number. Yeah, I said, I think so. I wrote it down. Summer, I got it. In a notebook or something. Oh. Then the president's wife came in. She was wearing tinted goggles and a bobble hat. Hi, Michelle, you've been skiing. Chelyabinsk, got that? No. No, I mean, I did have to look most of these up. Yes, she said, I've just got back from skiing with the Secretary of Agriculture, Tom Vilsack. The president seemed surprised. I didn't know Tom skis. <clears throat> yes, said Michelle. It's his big hobby oh. at the moment, skiing. <clears throat> he actually learnt it as his child from his parents. <clears throat> he loves it. <clears throat> oh, 
Man, it's hot in these those mountain clothes, she said. Well, take your care of, said the president. The first lady desalapetted herself. Hey, said Barack, small talking. Have you had your hair done? It looks curlier than usual. Yes, she said. I've had a perm. I looked at the impressive oh. pro- primo feminal coiffure admiringly whilst chewing a sandwich. Mmm, Voronosh. That gave me an idea. I said to Obama, hey, oh, we know Putin God. likes outdoor sports. Stop, Why don't you stop, take him fishing? Stop, Good stop. idea, Andy. Do you want to borrow my fishing kit? Thanks, but no, I've you got a rod. <laughs> no, I've got a rod. I can't take it anymore. <laughs> Do you think he likes cycling too? I bet he does. Then lend me your bike. I'll take him for a ride. Good idea. He might like a swim, but in a lake, never in salt water. Why not? We've got it into his head that pets urinate in it. Really? Yeah, he's obsessed with, it, with the idea that dogs and cats pee in the sea. <laughs> that was a long walk. That was a long walk. That's odd, because he's got a lovely cap. Always seems so content. Yeah, didn't he purr? <clears throat> and he loves skinny dipping too, Vlad. He was talking... <clears throat> he, he, Vlad, he was talking uh, about it just this morning. Never. Yes, but hey, eyes up. Why? Because he does this weird thing where one of his testicles twitches. He can't help it. It's involuntary. It's his famous ball tick. <clears throat> Whew. Oh, blast. Actually, I had quite a few more on that. For for some reason, that last one bothered me more than the other. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I don't know. uh, I mean, let me. uh, I don't know what to say, Andy. No, I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. I know what to say. say, Most of it's going to get bleeped out anyway. I've been getting a lot of uh, little messages on Twitter, John. You've been laying out the puns on The Daily Show, mate. No, I haven't. I've (laughs) I've had a lot of complaints about this. A lot of complaints that you've suddenly been like firing, think, firing out. I don't pumps. think that's true. Yeah. I don't think if you ever, don't even uh, notice if, it, mate. It's been if ever if no, ever I, there has been, and I'm by no means admitting it, Andy. Yeah. It's either accidental or so germane to the story <laughs> that it's harder to not pun. At no point have I forced a pun. You don't you're like all, natural puns. You ah, like forced puns. You Americans, you're all the same. <laughs> That's the most I've cried since semi-final Italian 90. The power is in your hands, Chris, to take that bell and throw it out of a window. <laughs> Consider it done. <clears throat> so, uh, gee. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Get rid of that bell. <laughs> the fact you were sitting on that one. Like a like a smug chicken on a foul egg. I can't relax till you let go it's of that not, bell. It's not. He's got another one. I can tell it in the way he's breathing. He's got another one. He's got another one. Just just f***ing do it, Andy. <laughs> do it. Because it's the suspense. It's the suspense that's worse. Do well, it. Uh, well, I, mean, I had a very difficult lunch today. So I went to a Russian restaurant. And uh, ordered the root vegetable soup. And I said, Did you, "Do you like it?" I said, mm, "Nizhny enough carrot." Oh no, that really doesn't work. That was supposed to be Nizhny Novgorod. D- it just really didn't hang together. Oh, I should have. Uh, I should have got the lentil curry made by the uh, made by uh, Susan Sarandon, Sue's doll. It's a little town with some historic churches outside Moscow. Are you deliberately doing shit ones so you can correct yourself with a good one or a better <laughs> well, one? That was just a little under preps. <clears throat> anyway. You sound so happy and that happiness is so misplaced. <laughs> right. <clears throat> the way you talk, it's almost like there's been a big crime here. 
Oh, sorry, <laughs> te- technically that's in Ukraine. <laughs> oh. oh dear. It's been Andy? a while. What? Do, what? Do, you, do, do I have your words that it's over? It's over, mate. It's over. That's that his cyber ear. That's 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 his cyber ear. So this is, in fact, the end of this compilation show. I do hope you have enjoyed it. Please come to see Satirist for Hire at the stand in Edinburgh from the 15th to the 27th of August and send your satirical request to satirise this at satiristforhire.com. There are live bugles on the 16th and 27th of August, Political Animal from the 15th to the 17th and the 22nd to the 24th with a different lineup each night. And don't forget the live bugle that's part of the London Podcast Festival on September the 17th. Many other Radiotopia shows also taking part in the festival, which runs from the 13th to the 17th. So, that's it. No further snippets. Your witness. Back next week with a full episode. May the Augusts be with you. Bye-bye. Hi, it's producer Chris from The Bugle here. Did you know that I have a new series of my podcast, Richie Firth Travel Hacker, out now? It's the show where Richie Firth and I talk about how to make travel better in our very special way. In this series, we discuss line bikes, Teslas, the London Overground, and a whole bunch of other random stuff that possibly involves wheels or tracks or engines of some variety. God, what a hot sell this is. I mean, you, you, you must be so excited. Listen now. <laughs>